Amen. Amen. Uh, every Sunday in the month of October, we'll be showing a, a short video clip like that, uh, detailing uh, Pastor Paul and Miss Karen's life, and uh, we're thankful, uh, beyond grateful for their ministry uh, to us, and uh, thankful for their commitment to the Lord. And just a testimony, I can just think about as a, as a young pastor to be able to have somebody uh, to look up to like that and, uh, and to just learn from and to sit under. Uh, what a blessing it is. So let's, let's give them one more round of a hand. In fact, let's just say thank you. Tonight, uh, tonight is the celebration meal uh, here in our uh, gymnasium at 6 o'clock. I'd encourage you uh, to arrive early. Uh, we have over 300 already signed up, and so if you're planning on coming, you want to make sure you get a good seat, I'd encourage you uh, to come early. It's going to be a great time of fellowship together, and I'm sure we'll have more time uh, to encourage both Pastor Paul and Miss Karen uh, in uh, their season of ministry here as we celebrate 40 years together. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to the book of James. We also have a baptism following the service today, as you see uh, in your weekly connect, and so I want to give enough time uh, to reflect and to watch and to celebrate with those who are following the Lord and believers' baptism. Uh, and so because of that, uh, we're going to jump into the text of Scripture uh, this morning. We are in a series uh, when I have the opportunity to preach in the book of James. Can we bring these lights up back here, by the way? That's going to distract me. Is that okay? Am I distracting somebody? Okay, good. All right, they'll get it. Uh, it. It's distracting to me. I don't know about you. Um, so we're in a series in the book of James looking at putting our faith into action. We are called as Christians not only to follow Jesus Christ in salvation, but to also live out our salvation. And James is concerned with making sure that we grow up in the faith. And to do that, he's going to address, as we've already seen, almost every area of our life as believers. Everything from our wallets to our tongues to our walk to the Word of God to favoritism and to now the issue of our faith. And specifically putting our faith into action. A few weeks ago, I went to breakfast, believe it or not, uh, to Country Barbecue. Now, I've said before that if you want a good biscuit, you're going to go to Country Barbecue. We were on our way to Country Barbecue with a couple men in the church. One of those was John Lineberry. And I don't know how we got on this topic, but we began to talk about the Sears Roebuck catalog. Anybody remember the Sears Roebuck? Okay. As a kid, I remember circling what I wanted for Christmas and giving it to my parents. And uh, now they don't, they went bankrupt. They don't even exist anymore, I think, as far as I know. But we started talking about the, the Sears Roebuck catalog. And John began to tell a story. I don't know how we got on this, but John began to tell a story about when he was a kid in the 70s. And I'm sorry to give your age away, John, but I just had to do it there. Uh, he began to tell a story about all the shoes that the kids wanted. Every kid he said, in the 70s, wanted these shoes. I'm going to show you a picture of them. They're the Nikes with the light blue check mark. How many had a pair of those shoes? Okay, a couple of you, right? We all, he said, wanted those shoes. 
uh, and they were 20, he told me, $29, okay? I looked on Amazon yesterday. You know how much they are today? $155. It's insane uh, inflation. And so he went to his mom, and his mom genuinely wanted to provide these shoes for him. She cared about him, and so he said, I, I want these shoes. And so she said, okay, and she went to the store. She bought a pair of shoes. She brought them home, and she said, John, I got the shoes you wanted. So he was all excited about it. He opened up the box, and sure enough, it wasn't the shoes he wanted. In fact, in fact, I'll show you the picture of the shoes he got. He got these brown <laughs> suede shoes called the Winners. Anybody own a pair of Winners? Anybody? John, you own the pair of Winners. You're the only one. <laughs> these were the uh, special pair of shoes that you'd get from the Sears Roebuck catalog or store. He said they have the, the gum sole on the bottom, and he said everybody at school is going to make fun of him because he didn't own the Nikes. He owned the brown suede shoes. Listen, he had the shoes, but he had the fake ones. He didn't have the real deal. He didn't have the ones that everybody wanted. He didn't have the authentic pair of shoes that he wanted. Well, that got me thinking about a time when I thought I had something authentic. It wasn't the pair of shoes, but as a kid, I grew up collecting sports cards. I was a big fan of, of guys like Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. I, mean, I was a Yankees fan because of that. I kind of just followed the players around. Well, when I was a teenager, Michael Jordan was retiring for his third time. Going to be done. So that time, when somebody's retiring, you wanted to get their rookie card. So I was like, well, I'm going to go look and see if I can find Michael Jordan's rookie card. So I go online, and sure enough, they're like thousands and thousands of dollars. In fact, I'll show you a picture. This was yesterday. There's one going for $75,000. Now, if you find an autographed one, which I saw, it's like $450,000. It's insane what people pay for cards today. So uh, if you're looking for a Christmas present for me, there it is, all right? <laughs> so I sat there and thought, I'm going to go get that Michael Jordan Rookie card. I'm going to try to find a deal. So I go to eBay. This was before Amazon got big. So I go to eBay, and I'm bidding for this Michael Jordan card, and I see there's one for $40. And I'm thinking right there, I got a steal. I, I've found the secret. I've hit the gold. I've, I've found the one rookie card that nobody knows about. And so I start bidding on it, and for some reason or another, I won <laughs> for $40. So I got this Michael Jordan card, and, man, I thought I was the stuff. I mean, I was taking it to church. I was taking it to my friends. I said, look at this thing, $40. I got the Michael Jordan rookie card. It's worth thousands and thousands of dollars. I had friends laughing at me, and they said, it's fake. I said, you're lying to me. And I said, I'll prove it to you. So you know what I did? I took it to a card collector expert. He looked at it for five seconds, laughed at my face, and said, it's fake. <laughs> it's fake. <laughs> you talk about crushing a 10-year-old heart. I mean, that ruined my day. So I've developed a GoFundMe page if you want to support that and uh, give to it. <laughs> I didn't have the real thing. John didn't have the real shoes. They were fake. We may have had something, but we didn't have the authentic piece that we wanted. And friend, let me apply it to your Christian life today. It's the same thing with your faith. Many of us today are sitting in this room thinking that we have real, genuine faith, but in reality, it's fake. 
It's not real. It's not the right thing. And James is going to address that very topic as we get into the middle of James chapter 2. And he's going to take our faith and he's going to put it under a microscope to examine it to see if we have the real deal. And he's going to do that by telling us what real faith does. What, what does real faith look like? And here's the main idea for today. Here's the overall message of the text this morning. I don't want you to miss this if you're taking notes. Real faith, James will argue, reveals real fruit. Real faith reveals real fruit. Now, notice here, and we'll get into this as we go throughout the text, especially as we get to the end of uh, James chapter 2. I'm not arguing for a works-based salvation. We believe uh, grace through faith alone. But I want to say this, faith is never alone. And we're going to talk about that today, but I want to make sure you understand that real faith, genuine faith, will produce works. So what does that faith look like? That's the question I want to ponder today. That's the question I want you to think about. It's here in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, which I already know because of sake of time, we're only going to get through three verses because we move really quick here through the Bible, as you can tell. We're going to get through three verses today and look at two characteristics of real faith. And the next week, we'll finish up by looking at the last two. Uh, characteristics of real faith. And then what James does at the end of chapter 2 is he applies it or he gives us a picture of real authentic faith by looking at Abraham and Rahab. But today we're going to look at two characteristics of genuine real faith. Here's the first characteristic. Let's jump into the message this morning. The first characteristic of real faith is this. Real faith is an active Faith. Real faith is an active faith. If you're there in James chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 14. It says this, What doth it profit? What use is it, my brethren, brothers and sisters, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Notice there, James begins the text here by asking two rhetorical questions. Now, he doesn't leave them unanswered. He wants you to answer those questions. And he says, first of all, I want you to consider this. What use is it, brothers and sisters? What use is it, believers, if you say you have faith, but you don't live like you have faith? And he says, that's what? Useless. It's not profitable. It's dead. It's Pointless. And then he goes on to say this. He says, not only is that useless, but think about your own salvation. Well, what if you say, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to amplify this for you. What if you say, well, I have faith, but I don't live out my faith. Does that mean I'm a believer? And how does James answer that question? He says, obviously, no. Because a real faith is a faith that, James says, produces works. Not saved by works, but you produce those things that prove that you are a Christian. And again, I'm not arguing works-based salvation. I'm not saying you're saved by works. We don't believe that. Like I said, we believe by grace through faith. But your faith should also be shown to a lost and dying 
world. You see, James isn't trying to convince, and remember, as we talked about at the beginning of James, he's not trying to convince the unbeliever that he's an unbeliever. He's talking to believers. So he's trying to convince, he's trying to challenge the believer to act like a believer. You go behave like you should behave. And if you don't demonstrate your faith, as far as the world is concerned, as far as those who don't know Christ are concerned, your faith's useless. It's pointless. It's dead. You know, why even call yourself a Christian, James says, if you're not going to live like one? If you're not going to live like one. I know what some of you are thinking. Again, you're pushing back, and, and, and some of you seasoned Christians in the room, you, you've studied the book of Romans. You've studied the book of Ephesians. You've studied the, the book of Galatians, and, and you're coming back, and you're saying, but the Apostle Paul, Pastor Nick, aren't you thinking of Ephesians chapter 2? Paul says it's not by works. Paul says in Romans, we're justified by faith, right? Pastor Nick, are you saying that James is contradicting the Apostle Paul? Are you telling me that James is saying something that Paul would never say? Man, I'm glad you asked that question because Pastor Harley's going to answer that for you later. <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> no, I don't think James actually contradicts Paul at all. In fact, I think he's complimenting Paul. And I think Paul is complimenting James. Here's the point. Paul, in those passages, as we consider books like Ephesians, and we consider passages like uh, in Romans chapter 1, and we, we think about Galatians chapter 5, he, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is trying to focus on faith that leads to salvation, and James is focusing on faith after salvation. Did you catch that? Paul is focusing on faith that leads to salvation. James is focusing on faith after salvation. Paul, and I'm going to put this on the screen here. I don't want you to miss this. Paul is teaching how to be justified before God. And James is teaching us how to be justified before men. You see, God's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can justify us. But if we want our faith justified, if we want our faith declared to a lost and dying world, James is saying, here's how you do it. Here's how you prove to somebody who doesn't know Jesus that you are saved. I like what Warren Wearsby has said about this passage. I'll read you his quote. He says this, Paul writes, It is faith alone that justifies. And James writes, Faith which justifies is not alone. That's good. Faith that justifies is not alone, but you're justified by faith alone. Now, friend, here's the deal. James is telling us that we need to show and tell. How many of you have ever been uh, involved, probably with your kids, or maybe as you were growing up in elementary, you were involved in, in a show and tell at school? Remember in kindergarten or elementary, you'd bring in maybe the, the piece of seashell that you got from vacation, or maybe your brother you know, made the football team, and you're like, I'm going to bring that football helmet and you, you bring in these different items, and it's a lot of fun to look at. I remember as a kid's pastor, I'd have all these kids uh, tell me about all their Legos that they had. 
I mean, they, they love to tell me about their Legos. So I said, well, you know what we'll do? We'll just do a show and tell one day at, at church. It was crazy. I'll never do that again, all right? We're not going to do it here, by the way. So you can keep your Legos at home. <laughs> but uh, they, they said, we're going to bring these Legos in. So they bring them in. And I mean, they're, they're like huge, complicated things that take hours and hours. So I know kids have no excuse when it comes to cleaning their room. If they can build the Lego set, they can clean their room, parents, okay? They got no excuse, all right? And they brought in these Legos. I even had kids literally invite me over their homes to show me their Legos they couldn't bring in. <laughs> so They loved it. Kids love it. They love to show and tell. Now, when we get to adulthood, as we mature, show and tell doesn't really mean anything to us. See, we mature out of that stage, and here's the problem. Here's where I'm going with this as far as application goes. Many of us do that with our Christian life. We, we, we think we've outgrown the need to show and tell our faith. And James says you're wrong because you never outgrow the need to actively live out your faith. It's pointless. Get this now. It's pointless to call yourself a Christian and never live like a Christian. It's pointless to call yourself a Christian and never live like a Christian. And James is telling us that. When I first got married to Hannah, Hannah almost got the whole package, okay? <laughs> she got all the good looks <laughs> and all the humility wrapped up in one person, okay? Okay. <laughs> One thing I was missing, though, out of many things I was missing, one thing I was missing was that of being a handyman, okay? Like, I, I'm not the type of person that's going to do electrical work. I'm not going to try to learn it. I'm not going to patch a hole in the drywall. In fact, I'm going to make it worse if I try. I did try. It didn't work out very well. I'm not going to do plumbing either. So uh, recently, we had a little plumbing issue at our house. And uh, Hannah, Hannah tasked me with that. And so as the husband, I'm thinking, well, I can take care of this problem. It's not an issue at all. So you know what I did? My plumbing skills literally include that of grabbing a bucket and putting it under the dripping faucet and then emptying every couple days. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me, right? <laughs> and for some reason, Hannah didn't like that. And so uh, uh, I, said, uh, I said, well, why, why does that matter? And she said, well, somebody's going to see it. And I said, who cares? <laughs> it's, it's taken care of. So we compromised, and I called a plumber. <laughs> so I called an expert, one of our church members. I called Earl Miller here. And I, I, uh, some of you know Earl, most of you know Earl. I said, Earl, I got a plumbing issue. And he said, well, do you have pecs or copper? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you ask me to, to quote the Greek alphabet or name the church fathers, I, I could do a, a big din in that, but telling you what pecs and car, I don't know what that is. He said, well, do the lines run together as far as the tub and the sink can go and everything else, or are they separate? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, do you know where your crawl space is? <laughs> I said, I think so. <laughs> So he said, well, I'll come over and look at it. So he comes over and, and, and looks at it, and I send him a picture of what I think it is, and he crawls under there. He says, now turn the water off, and I'm still not sure exactly how to do that. The verdict's still out on that. But he said, go turn the water off. I'll get it taken care of, and literally in five minutes, he had that thing cut off, and we, or he, had it fixed. <laughs> I just kind of held the flashlight there, and uh, it was pointless for me to be under that house. Literally, I was just in the way. Now listen, I could tell you that I was a plumbing expert. 
But I'd be lying, literally, because if you were to watch me do plumbing, you would fire me. I promise you. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm useless when it comes to plumbing. So if you don't get anything else from this message, don't call me if you have a plumbing issue. Listen, I'll come pray about it, but it's, it's not going to get fixed. It's the same thing with your faith. When, when you don't live it out, when, when you don't actually actively promote what the Word of God says through your life, the Bible says it's pointless. It's useless. Don't even try because it's, it's dead. And you may say, well, Pastor Nick, why is this so important? Well, not only because it's a biblical command, not only are we called in James chapter 2 to actually live out our, our faith, but as I said earlier, you think about a lost and dying world that is watching us. You know, if we really cared about the souls that were dying and going to hell, if we really cared about the neighbor next door to us, we would live like a Christian should live. So I want you to think about this. What does your neighbor actually think about you? What does the person that has lived next door to you for 10 years now, five years now, do they actually know you're a Christian by the way you live? What about the coworker you've worked with for years that's in the office next to you or in the cubicle that's uh, right there in front of you? Do they know that you actually believe and you live like you believe in the almighty creator who went to a bloody cross for your sins? I mean, do those people in your life know that you're a Christian? Or are you spouting off in anger real quickly? Are you using foul language? Are you the one that they would never expect to be a Christian? I can think about many times in my own life, even growing up as a, as a teenager, I remember uh, going to, I grew up in a Christian school my whole life, and you would think at a Christian school many times parents put their kids in a Christian school because they want them in a good environment. In Christian school, I praise the Lord for it. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to have your kids. But sometimes the kids in those Christian schools are not always Christian. And I remember watching my older brother. I got an older brother who's a pastor in, in Winston-Salem actually speaking at our Bible conference here in a couple weeks. And I remember watching my older brother and the way that he would live in front of his peers. I've never forgotten this story because he was around kids that weren't always living the right way. And as they grew up, got out of high school, got into college, got married, had kids, one of the classmates was having some difficulty in his marriage. In fact, his wife left him and he went to meet with my dad and he was talking about Zach, my older brother, and he said, you know what, when we were growing up as teenagers, he said, all those kids played around, they did things they shouldn't have done, but Zach, Zach was the real deal. Zach was the authentic Christian. Zach was the one who I wanted to be like. I sat there and thought about my own life. Would I not want the same thing said about me? Nick Decker's the real deal. Wouldn't you want the same thing said about you? You're the authentic Christian. You're the one that is useful. You're the one putting your faith into action. I mean, is that you? Let me speak to parents here this morning. 
I just want to speak to those who are raising their kids, and I don't want to be too harsh here, but I want to be honest. I want to be honest with each of you this morning because I believe there's something in our culture today that is hurting our young families about more than anything else in this life. What does your life say to the unsaved person who sees you on the soccer field instead of the sanctuary on Sunday morning? Friend, what does the young family that sees you taking your kids to travel baseball on Sunday morning instead of meeting with the saints, what does that say to the person that doesn't know Jesus? Do you think they'd want Jesus when you're choosing a basketball or a baseball over the church? Do you think it really matters? Now let me ask you this, what do you think, and this is more important to me, and I don't want to be too harsh here, but I want to be honest because I think it's important. What does your child think? What does your grandchild think when you decide to choose the bed, when you decide to choose the golf course, when you decide to choose the Panthers game over the church? No wonder our kids and grandkids are leaving the faith by the droves. The faith is useless to many of us today. Friend, listen, it's a serious matter because James says your faith is dead. If it's not useful, if you're not living it out, it's pointless. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord one day. And I don't want to be known as someone who raised a star athlete. I don't want to be known as someone who made sure my kids were at all the Wednesday night, all the Sunday morning, all the Saturday games. I don't want to be known as someone who raised the academic. Now listen, all of those things are good, but I want to prepare my child. I want to prepare my family to stand before the Lord. I want to make sure that they're ready to face the God Almighty. I want to make sure that they know Jesus. And listen, none of those things are bad. They're not, they're, they're not sinful. But if you're putting them above the Lord and his word and, and the gathering of the saints, there's a problem. Because I promise you, the percentage that your child is going to go to be a professional is very, very low. But there's a 100% chance that your child will stand before the Lord. So you better make sure they're prepared. You better make sure that you're living out your faith in front of them. You better make sure that you're bringing them to church. You better make sure that they're seeing you read the Bible. You better make sure they're seeing you pray. You know what I love to do? Now, I'm not perfect at this. I'm not great at this. I watched my dad do the same thing. I've watched my mom do the same thing as a kid growing up. I remember walking in. I've shared this story before, I believe. I can't remember if I shared it here I remember walking into the sanctuary many times on Saturdays. We'd be there all day as a pastor's kid, and I'd walk down the front, and there with the lights off, I'd see my dad praying on the altar for me. I don't sleep much, and even as a kid, I didn't sleep much. I probably drove my parents crazy, but I remember waking up early, going downstairs, and seeing my mom at the dinner table, literally with her Bible open at 5, 6 in the morning, praying and reading God's Word and watching that and saying, I want my kids to see the same thing. So you know what I love to do? Now, Karis doesn't know how to pray yet. She just mumbles. It's really cute. But I love to hear her say, Amen. And I want her every day 
to be able to say amen because she's watching me pray over her. She's watching Hannah pray over her. Friend, the same thing should be said about you. Your faith should be active. A real faith is an active faith. Number two, number two, I've got to hurry here. Real faith, real faith is a partnered faith. Real faith is a partnered faith. And some of this is a little repetitive here, but I think I want to hit the point quickly here. Verses 15 through 17, James raises a picture for us. He gives us an example. He says this, if a brother or a sister be naked or destitute, excuse me, and destitute of daily food. And one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Now notice here, that's the picture. And then he makes application in verse 17. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being what? Alone. Being alone. Now here's the deal. He sets up this picture. There's two people that walk into the church, probably believers, as most people argue here. There's a woman and a man. And the King James says they're naked. A good translation is also poorly clothed. Some of your translations might say that. Poorly clothed. In other words, they're not walking out. They're not walking in the service without clothes. They're walking in literally in rags. They don't look like you and me today. And they're destitute of daily food. In other words, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. Now, some of you are going to leave today, and you're going to go across the street to Uptown Charlie's, and you're going to go down to Olive Garden, uh, cross there to Subway. You're going to go home and have a steak. You're not worried. You're not worried about your next meal. These people are leaving the service, and they have no idea where their next meal's going to come from. And what makes it really sad is the fact that the church knows it. That's the point. The church sees these two struggling. They look like they haven't eaten in days, and they look like they haven't had clothes in days, and they're about to go out in the weather. They're about to go out in the environment and not have what they need. And here's what you do. Here's what the church does. What do they do? They say, first of all, depart in peace. You know what that means? That means God bless you. Literally, they're seeing their need, and all they're doing is saying this, God bless you you. And to make matters worse, not only do they say depart in peace, but what do they say? Be ye warmed and filled. In other words, here's what they're doing. They're seeing the need and they're literally shaking the person's hand. One person saying, God bless you. I hope that you're warm enough in the clothes you have and let them walk out. Another person's shaking their hand. They're saying, God bless you. I hope you have enough food today. And then they're letting them walk out. And here's the problem with that. They're not addressing the issue. They're, they're not partnering their faith, get this now, don't miss it, with works. They may say they have Jesus, but they're not living like Jesus. They may say they know Jesus, but they're not following what Jesus has said. And they didn't want a sermon. Now, a sermon's a good thing. They didn't just want a farewell, and a farewell's a good thing. They wanted a supper. They wanted to sit at the kitchen table with you. And yet all you did was let them pass, the Bible says, as the story goes. You let them pass, and you told them, God bless you. And James says, verse 17, he makes application, 
And he says that that is exactly what faith looks like without works. That's exactly what it looks like when you don't live out what the Word of God says to do. And James says that's a problem because guess what? It's useless. It's dead. It's pointless. It doesn't matter. I mean, could you imagine the picture? And you say, well, Pastor Nick, and let me just pause here and make some application to your own life. You may say, Pastor Nick, I'll never do that. I mean, if somebody were to stumble in here with, with, with rags on and they didn't have enough food, we'd take care of it, and I'm sure we would. I mean, that's something that I think uh, even Gospel Baptist Church particularly, I've seen, uh, takes care of those who are less fortunate. But there are many times we do it in other ways. I want you to think about this for a second. Some of you are saying, I want all the kids to come to know Jesus in our ministry. I want all the kids to come and know Jesus in my neighborhood, but I'm not going to volunteer in the nursery. I'm not going to volunteer in the children's ministry. They, they need those volunteers in the student ministry, in the children's ministry, in the nursery, but I want them to come to know Jesus, but I'm not going to give my time to it. Do you even know the person sitting next to you? Do you know the person sitting in the aisle next to you? Are they, are they struggling with something that you know about and you're not helping them? Better yet, do you even know they're struggling? See, many times we, we come into this place and we think we're taking care of those, and, and, and many of us do. I don't want to just beat, berate everybody because we do here, but many times we miss it sometimes. See, there's a ministry probably that's on your mind right now. Maybe there's a ministry God's placing in your heart that you know you need to volunteer for. You know they need help. You, you know that you need to be a part of, but you're not doing it. Listen, friend, I don't want you to leave this place without jumping in <laughs> to that ministry. God is putting it on your heart today for a reason because we are to care for those in need. Because James says if you don't, it's it's useless. It's useless. You've got to have the right combination. I want to tell one more illustration, one more story, and then I'm, I'll finish here. You've got to have the right partnership. So let me get that across here. You've got to have both faith and, and, and works here this morning. When Karis was first born, my wife decided to go all organic, all natural, you know, all that non-GMO, no preservatives. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You got to be grass-fed. I'm just throwing out here things. I don't really know what they are, but uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly what they are. Still, you know, you got to make sure that you, you you have the right things in place to make sure it's healthy. And um, here's the deal. She's a purist. I'm a pragmatist when it comes to food, right? I want it to look good and also taste good. It, it doesn't matter to me exactly, you know, what it does to me. I just want it to, to really taste good. I like what uh, Truett Cathy said about food, uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said, food is essential to life, therefore make it good, okay? Like, and good means it tastes good, okay? <laughs> Not just good for you. It, it has to taste good. Well, I'm the pragmatist. I'm like, hey, Karis, you want a piece of cake? That's fine. I mean, there's eggs, there's dairy in there. You're going to get something good out of that, right? Hannah's like, no cake, all right, you're not going to have any cake. Well, one of the things she said, and I did ask for permission for this, okay. One thing she did say was, she said, well, we're not going to give Karis the sweetened applesauce, all right? You guys know what I'm talking about, the sweetened applesauce. We're going to get the unsweet applesauce as like a, uh, a gift for her. Now, listen, you want to taste something terrible, go eat unsweetened applesauce. <laughs> like, I don't know why you'd do that, right? But she said, we're going to give just the unsweetened applesauce. So 
she's feeding Karis this, she will not eat it for her life, okay? And I'm sitting here thinking, if we just get the sweetened stuff, it'd be just fine. Well, Hannah sent me to the store one day, and she said, I want you to get the unsweetened applesauce. And I'm not sure if I wasn't listening, which is not like me, <laughs> or if I just didn't want to listen to her, which is still not like me, because I do whatever she says, you know what I mean? And so she said, go get the unsweetened applesauce. Well, I guess I just wasn't paying attention, and I bought the sweetened applesauce. And I, I still was not paying attention. When I got home, I gave it to Karis, and she ate it up. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, I'm the best dad in the world. <laughs> like, I mean, look at me. You know, I got everything together. Hannah, you can't get her to eat the unsweetened, but I got her to do it. I mean, look at this. She loves it. She wants seconds. So what am I doing? Giving her seconds, you know. <laughs> Hannah comes home, and she says, what in the world are you doing? I said, well, look what I did. <laughs> She's eating that unsweetened applesauce like you couldn't get her to do it. I'm just the best father. You just need to listen to me. She opens the cupboard. She looks at what I bought, and she said, you bought sweetened applesauce. No wonder she loves it. And Hannah said this. She said, Karis will never be the same. <laughs> and she hasn't, and it's all my fault. <laughs> Listen, I had the wrong combination. I had the right substance, but the wrong mix. I didn't have the right thing. And it's the same thing with your faith today. You can have faith. You can say you have faith in Jesus, but if you don't have the right combination. It's going to fall apart. It's going to be dead. It's going to be useless to a lost and dying world. And not only that, but you're not going to honor the Lord. Because the Bible says you've got to have both faith and works. You've got to have both faith and fruit. You've got to have faith in Jesus, but you've got to prove that you have faith in Jesus. You've got to make sure you look like Jesus. Because if not, it's unprofitable. So three questions and I'm done. Three questions and I'm done. How do you make sure that your faith is lived out? How, how do you make sure this week, maybe you're leaving here today and you're saying, well, Pastor Nick, how do I do it? What are, what are some questions I can ask myself? These aren't exhaustive, but I want you to see these things. Number one, number one, who are you serving this week? And what are you doing to serve them? Who are you serving this week? And, and what are you doing to serve them? It's a good question to ponder. If you want to see if you're living out your faith, ask who you're serving and what you're doing to serve them. Number two, when was the last time you told someone about Jesus? When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? And if you want some help, we got those invite cards, by the way, which work really well at lunch if you leave a good tip. Take an invite card. Invite somebody to church. Make sure they know about Jesus. Give them the gospel. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? And number three, and I'm done. Does my life consistently mimic the life of Christ? Does my life consistently mimic the life of Christ? Are you following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? Those are questions I want you to ponder today if you want your life, if you want your faith to be lived out. Let's pray together this, this morning. As you're sitting there in your seat, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to give a time for a response and invitation for each of you. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never come to know Christ as your Savior. You've never accepted him uh, by uh, grace through faith. I want to encourage you. The altar is open this morning. We have individuals up front on the front rows that can talk to you if you need somebody. If you've never come to know Jesus, there is time for that. And the Bible says today, friend, is the day 
of salvation. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Nick, I have faith, but I'm not living like I should. Friend, listen, there's time to get that right. You can come forward. You can deal with the Lord in your seat. No matter where you're at, God hears you. But I want to encourage you to make sure that you're putting your faith into action. Have an active faith and a partnered faith, a faith that works. Father, as you're dealing with hearts this morning, we know that you are a God who speaks. We believe, Lord, that you through the power of the Holy Spirit, can convict our hearts the preaching of God's Word. We ask this morning, Father, that you will speak to hearts, that they will be transformed, Lord, that we will leave this place not just hearing the Word, but actually, as James says, doing the Word, to be active in our faith. I pray, Lord, as you deal with hearts, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that you will convict them today. They will leave knowing you. We ask now, you bless this time. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you'll stand with me, we're going to sing and praise the Lord. The altar is open and you're welcome to come and deal with God this morning. seated this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Paul up as we go into a time of baptism. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Great message this morning. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, we have some who are following the Lord in baptism today. We actually had 14, more than we can fit in the back and so forth and, and have a baptism. So we, we're moving a second baptism to uh, October the 22nd. So that's, uh, I think, three weeks from this morning we'll be baptizing another group. But this morning we have five that are going to follow the Lord uh, in, in baptism. Now I remind you, baptism does not save anyone. Even though you go down in water, it does not wash away your sins. Might wash a little dirt off, but it will not wash away your sins. Um, that happens when the Lord Jesus comes into your life. He washes your sins away. Only he can do that. And it doesn't make you a child of God. When Christ comes in, he does that. And it doesn't give you a home in heaven. When Christ comes in, he does that. So what does baptism do? Baptism is a display of your faith. Baptism is, is the person who's getting baptized. They are saying to everybody watching, 
they are saying, I am a follower of Christ now. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. Salvation takes place in our heart, and it can't be seen. But baptism symbolizes that, and it can be seen. And so it is an open proclamation that one is a follower of the Lord Jesus. It has beautiful symbolism. When someone goes down into the water, it symbolizes the Lord Jesus dead and buried for our sins. <clears throat> when they come up out of the water, it symbolizes the resurrection of Christ. He's alive. But it also symbolizes us. <clears throat> when we go down into the water, it symbolizes that old person that we were before Christ. That old person is, is dead and buried. And when we come up out of the water, it symbolizes that we're a new person now. We're a new person in Christ Jesus. And we're supposed to walk in newness of life. And so it is beautiful symbolism. Now let me share with you, introduce to you those who are being baptized this morning. And I'll ask them to stand in just a moment. The first one is Jean Newsom. Jean is seven years old. And uh, her parents are Brittany and Chris. And she received a booklet from our Vacation Bible School this year that said, How Can I Become a Child of God? And uh, within a day or so after that, she was talking to her grandmother about that little booklet and about sin. And uh, she wanted to call on Christ as her Savior. So her grandmother, Sheila, uh, prayed with her. They discussed it, and she explained it, and they prayed together. And uh, Jean received Christ as Savior. Uh, her parents are here, and also... Uh, her grandmother Sheila and also her great-grandmother Melba is here today. So I'm going to ask Jean and everybody who's here with Jean today to stand, if you would, wherever you are. There's Jean and her family right there. Let's give her a hand. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. And then we have uh, two sisters. The first is Audrey Smith. Jay and Caitlin are her parents, and her grandparents, Nancy and uh, Kevin, are here this morning, of course. And, uh, and then we have uh, Ainsley Smith, her sister, and uh, she is eight and Audrey is six. I'm putting them together in the story because they got saved at the, at the same time there. Uh, after Bible school this year, uh, they were going home home on Friday night. Their daddy was driving them, and uh, they began to talk about the Bible school and the Word of God and the Lord Jesus and salvation. And so he talked with them along the way, and, uh, and then when they got home, they talked a little more, and uh, Mama was out of town at the moment, Caitlin, and so Jay, their daddy, led both of them to Christ on that night. And uh, so that's a beautiful thing, a daddy leading his two girls to the Lord. And so I'm going to ask uh, the family of Audrey and uh, Ainsley to stand, please, wherever you are. Oh, other, let me see, other grand, I've got their name. Nancy and Kevin is here, and also uh, Rod and Tony are here as well. If you would stand. There they are. Let's give them a hand. God bless you. 
Amen. Thank you so much. And then we have Kevin, uh, Gavin Whitley. And Gavin is uh, 16, but he told me this morning in 15 days he's going to be 17. So he's right there close. He's almost 17. His parents are Jerry and Adrian. And uh, Gavin went to uh, the Wilds camp this summer with the church, and he enjoyed it. And then on Friday night, after preaching all week and, and having a great time, on Friday night, he, was, he talked with his counselor for a long time. And uh, it was there that he gave his heart to Christ, and the Lord came into his life. And so we rejoice with Gavin. Uh, Gavin and those who are with Gavin, if you would stand where you are, right there. God bless you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And then the last one is uh, Tyler Woodleaf. And Tyler is 18 years old. And uh, Tyler has been associated with our church for many years. He, he would come in and attend uh, VBS and, uh, and, and visit at other times as well. And his connection is his aunt is uh, Mary Jones. And that was his connection to our church. Uh, and uh, so when he got saved, he decided he wanted to get baptized here at Gospel. And we're, we're uh, overjoyed that he did. Three months ago, uh, Tyler was listening to a podcast where they were preaching the Gospel. And uh, he gave his heart to Christ. And uh, we rejoice with him in that. His, his uh, mother is here, Sherry, and his grandmother, Brenda, is here as well, along with his Aunt Mary. If all that family would stand and everybody who's with Tyler would stand, yeah, God bless you each one. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Tyler and Gavin... And everybody that's going to be baptized, if you would, exit right now. You can make your way, the, the men over to this side, and the ladies, uh, young ladies over to this side, and the parents who are going with them. Everybody, make your way there. And uh, I'm going to pray as they go. Father, thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and how that blessed old story pulls our hearts to say yes to the sovereign of the universe. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for these, from the youngest to the oldest of this group, that they have said yes to you. I pray you not only bless the baptism today as we celebrate and as we declare your salvation, but I pray you'd bless them in the days and weeks and months ahead that they will live out their faith as Pastor Nick talked about. And they will know your joy and peace in life. And they'll find their place of service for you and be faithful through the years. We'll thank you for it. We pray for them now and that you'd hedge them about in your protective care and keep them uh, safe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.